Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. I don't want you to think I'm some kind of freak. Some of you just thought it's too late for that, Ronnie. But I need to confess something that I was doing while you were praying. I was looking at you. You go, what? I don't know. This morning I couldn't help but look at you. And this is what I thought. Man, I'm crazy about this group of people. I can't begin to tell you how much I love and value each of you and how blessed I feel to be able to stand up here and share God's message with you today. Uh, I want to say a word about our worship team. I want to say thank you, God, for using them the way you do. I don't know how you are on Sunday mornings, but when I get here, my mind is frazzled. I got all kind of things on my mind. Just, you know, I hate to say this, since I've already confessed that I was staring at you while you were praying. I'll say this, you know, when, even when I get here, I, my mind's on just about anything but God. I, you got, there's so much going on, but I walk in this room, and I start listening to our worship team. And the next thing I start singing along with our worship team. And it's like everything else just fades away, and all I can see is God. God with me. The God who loves me. Never gives up on me. Would never. Man, I start seeing him. It's like, it's like God uses them to kind of recalibrate my mind. I'm so grateful for that. I need that on a weekly basis. Uh, with the time that you would give me, the remainder of this service, I want to tell you a Bible story. It is found in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, chapter 26 through 30. Think about it. 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. You're going, Ronnie, if I count it correctly, you're going to share five chapters of the Bible with us this morning. That is exactly right. So I hope that you haven't made any lunch plans that you can't get out of. I promise you I'll keep it as brief as possible. I'm leaving a lot out of the story. I'm going to share with you what I felt like is pertinent. You can go back this afternoon and read the story to make sure I told you the truth, okay? Uh, for those of you who are visiting with us for the first time, we're in a sermon series that revolves around the life of a man named David, and he is the central figure of our story today. When we pick up on his story, I guess you could say, for David, life is good. You know, if you could have the king of a nation and an army after you trying to kill you and still say life is good, life was pretty good for David at this time. He had a group of 600 men who had really appointed him as their military leader, and they've all been amply supplied thanks to the death of a man named Nabal, whom we talked about last week. Uh, at this, So he's got about anything he would want or need, and he's a newlywed. He's just been married, thanks to the death of a man named Nabal, whom we talked about last week. David married Nabal's widow, Abigail. And marriage must have agreed with David because he married again. You say, so things didn't work out with him and Abigail? No, they worked out just fine. Must have worked out so good, David said, I need two of these. So he married a second woman named Ahinoam. Now, that's probably not the way it's pronounced, but none of you will ever go back and check, so I'm free to pronounce it any way I want to, you know? So he marries a second woman, and his good life is overshadowed by bad news. Somebody told him, Saul is back in the hunt for you. 
He's put together an elite fighting force, 3,000 of his best men. And not only is he looking for you again, he and his men are camped near your camp. So David and two buddies set out in the night and they find this camp. And David has a crazy idea. He decides he's going to slip into the camp. Now, they're, the 3,000 men, they're all asleep. And they've formed a circle around two men, Saul, and, and, and the commander of these 3,000 men, a guy named Abner, who was also Saul's personal bodyguard. And they're lying in the center of the circle, and they're dead asleep. David turns to his two buddies and said, I'm going in there. Who's going with me? One of the guys whose name I refuse to try to pronounce because I tried it two or three times this week and it came out kind of vulgar. So I thought, you know, I'm not even going to try. I won't even try Sunday morning for fear of being misunderstood and misquoted. But this one guy said, I'm in. Let's go. They walk right through this group of sleeping soldiers, walk right over. They're standing over Saul and Abner who are dead asleep. David's buddy said, you know what's going on here. God has delivered him into your hands. Now, this story should sound a lot like the story that, that uh, Tim told two weeks ago. It's almost deja vu. It's like they're having this. And this guy said, I know what's going on. And this is what he said. He said, David, let me kill him. One lick. That's what he said. One lick, he's dead. I won't have to hit him twice. You know what David said? No. Wouldn't be right. It's not what God wants. We're not going to do it. You know, there are times, and I hope you're picking up on this in the story, where David is so human. Uh, like uh, taking two wives. Did God want him to take two wives? No. That was the human David. Now, I know what some of you men thought. Don't you say it out loud. If you want to be, happy, be happily married, don't you say it. But now I'm kind of seeing the David that I've always thought was superhuman. You're doing, David go, nope. Been here before, had the opportunity, said, no, I'm back here again. He's still saying, what a man of resolve. It's like he's superhuman. He said, we're not going to kill him. However, and he called his buddy's name that I won't call. And he said, get his sword, because his sword was sticking the ground next to his head, and get his personal water bottle and come with me. They crept back out of the camp. They got at a safe distance, got at a vantage point where David could yell out and be heard. And David begins to yell until he wakes them all up. And David begins to speak to Abner, not Saul. And he said something like this, What a sorry excuse of a bodyguard you are. If I were Saul, I'd kill you. Man, he begins to, he begins to really deride him. And then all of a sudden, Saul speaks up and goes, David, is that you, my son? You know what? That cold-blooded murderer. My son. He said, I'm so sorry for what I've done. I'll never bother you again. I give you my word. And the Bible said that, Saul went one way, David went another. Well, after this, David got to thinking. Oh, I'm not opposed to thinking. But David was doing the wrong kind of thinking, and we'll see that in just a minute. David thought to himself, you know, I know how my story is going to end. One of these days, Saul's going to catch me, and he's going to kill me. So i got to come up with a plan uh, to save my own skin. So this is what he came up with. I'm going to leave Israel, and I'm going to go over and take up residence 
in the land of the Philistines, who were, by the way, the arch rivals of the Israelites. I'm going to go over. I'm going to go to the city of Gath. Uh, I'm going to meet with King Achish and see if he wouldn't mind if I and my family, my 600 men and their families, took up residence here among your people. Now, I want you to think about this. David's done this one time, right? Now, for you, if you're visiting, this is the 16th sermon in this series. We saw there was another time David had the same crazy idea. Uh, here's what was, what's different? It didn't work, and so what was different now? Well, one, he went by himself before, and at that point in time, nobody knew that he and the king of Israel were bitter enemies, and he ended up having to fake that he was crazy to escape with his life. What's different now? I'll tell you what's different now. Oh, David's assuming everybody knows that Saul and I are bitter enemies. And I know that Achish, king of Gath, Philistine king, he and David are bitter enemies. And I'm kind of gambling that this time that we've got that in common and he may be accommodating to me. So David and his 600 men relocate their families. They, they come into Gath pulling U-Hauls. They have a meeting with Achish and they tell him, here's what we'd like to do. Can we, would you put us up for a while? You know what Achish said? Absolutely. Settle down. And so David and these 600 men and their families, they take up residence in Gath. The Bible said that when Saul learned that David and his men were now living among the Philistines, guess what he did? He said, forget it. Forget it. I'm not going to pursue him. I'm not going in there. So David's plan worked. Now, one day David went to Achish, and he said, uh, you know, we, we appreciate all you've done. You know, the, as far as cities go, Gath is a great city. Don't get us wrong, but we're kind of country people. Do you have a small rural town that you would give us? Achish said, Yeah. Yeah, we got this sleepy little backwoods town called Ziklag. If you Ziklag, if you want it, it's yours. So once again, the U-Hauls were loaded up. Out of Gath go David and his six hundred men, all their families. They go down to this little country town of Ziklag, and they take up residence. Now, here's the thing: they weren't necessarily country people. I don't think that was the exact truth. Matter of fact, that might have even come from the Hodge translation. You know what you can do with the Hodge translation. Sometimes you just have to ignore it. But now, really, he did ask for a town in the country. But I'll tell you what I think, strategic. Because David wasn't content to just sit back in safety. He had some aggressive goals on his mind. He wanted to chip away at the enemies of Israel. So he needed to come out from under the scrutiny of Achish to do so. That's why he wanted a country town. Now, from this little country town, he and his men would go out and they would raid towns and villages that were made up of the enemies of Israel. You want to see how human David was? Uh, He would enter these towns and he would kill every person in the town. He and his men would kill everyone who lived there. Boy, he's no saint. And then he would steal or take everything that had belonged to those people. Huh? You think about this next time you're telling the story of David and Goliath, this perfect man, this superhuman. I'm telling you, he was very human. 
And he would take all their stuff. And the reason he wouldn't leave anybody alive was because when he would go back, and apparently he had some form of accountability with Achish, and Achish would go, what you been doing with yourself? And this is what he would say. I've been killing Israelites. Mm-hmm. I've been killing Israelites. That's a lie. That's pretty human. I've been killing Israelites. You know what, Achish thought? Achish thought this was one of the greatest. He said, you know what, David? He's done with his countrymen, and his countrymen have got to be done with him. Sixteen months. David's plan worked to absolute perfection. He was getting rich. Huh? He had to look like a genius in the eyes of his men and all of their families. Perfect. One day, David has a meeting with Achish, and Achish says, Have I got good news for you? We're pulling all of our forces. We're mustering all of our forces together, and we're going to invade and attack Israel. We're going to level it. What do you think about that? And here, David, guess what? You're going to get a chance to do what you love most. You're going to get to kill Israelites. Now, for those who didn't pick up on it, let me tell you what that means. It means David was in a pickle. He wasn't killing Israelites. He wasn't about to kill Israelites. He wasn't going to kill his own countrymen. But he's led this man to believe that that's what he really enjoyed doing. And that's what he had been doing. And he can't go in and kill the Israelites. But what if he were to tell Achish, hey, dude, you know what? I've been lying to you like a dog. I haven't been killing Israelites. I'm not going to go in there and kill Israelites. (laughs) The joke's on you, Achish. What if he'd have done that? He knows. They'll kill me. So he can't go and fight, but he can't tell them he's in a pickle. What do you do? And oh, Achish said, I got a special job for you. You and your 600 men, you'll be my personal bodyguard. You're going to be the guys who protect me, make sure nothing happens to me. God, I'm sure David's going, yeah, boss, can't hardly wait, huh? Well, the day came when the generals were bringing all their thousands and hundreds of Philistine soldiers together, and one of the generals recognized David. What? He went to Achish and said, I got a question. What are these? Let me make sure our time's good here. Whoa. I got to, got to move on here. He said to Achish, What's, what are the Hebrews doing here? Do you not know who that is? That's David. Uh, he's famous for killing us. And they write, they've written songs about him. And this is what that general said. I, I, ain't, going, I ain't going into battle with him. Because here's what's going to happen. The minute the battle breaks out, he's going to show his true colors. And he's going to start killing Philistines because that's what he does. And then another general showed up and said to Achish, what, what, what are they doing here? Oh, I'm not going. One after, one after another, each general started showing going, not taking my men in, not going, not going, not going. So Achish reluctantly went to David and said, hey, dude, I got bad news. David was human. He, was, he could really, he was a hypocrite at times. Achish, I, you can't go, man. Can you imagine David going, oh, why not? You know, I'm so disappointed. My men, they know they're, this is what they're afraid of. They're not going. So, you know, I want, I want you guys to get a good night's sleep at daylight. Why don't you go back to Ziklag? Can you imagine David going, 
shucks, man, I wanted to show you, you know, what I'm made of. I wanted to show you, hypocrite. He said, but I guess if that's what we're supposed to do, that's what we do. And so at first light, they started in the direction of Ziklag. And uh, I got to believe that as soon as they got out of sight, they started laughing hysterically. You know why? They got out of the pickle. I believe they started high-fiving. I believe some are saying, David, you beat all, man. You beat all. You get in and out of some of the craziest situations. I just can't believe you. I believe it was a lot of fun there for a while, Pat. Three days later, I want you to read with me what happened. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1, through the first portion of verse number 6. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. Are you reading this with me? They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins, key word, you saw that, didn't you? And realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing, key word, their sons and daughters. And they began to talk of stoning him. There came a point in their little journey where they saw a plume of smoke rising in the distance. At that moment, I believe all laughter subsided. And I believe their hearts were struck with fear. That looks like it's coming from Ziklag. I don't believe there was a lot of talking. There was no laughter. I believe they were gripped with fear, assuming the worst. The closer they got, they recognized those are our homes. That smoke is coming from our homes. They get there, Ryan, and I believe there was something noticeably absent in the smell of the smoke. They couldn't smell burning human flesh. I believe as they started going through the rubble, there was something noticeably absent. There were no human remains. They started putting two and two together, and they realized something. Whoever raided us, they took our wives, and they took our children. Along with everything we own, they've got our families. I believe they knew what that meant for their families' futures. They'll serve as slaves for the rest of their lives. I believe that their imaginations went crazy trying to, trying to picture what these raiders were doing with their wives and their children. They began to weep uncontrollably, even David. Matter of fact, they wept until they couldn't muster up another tear. And then, of course, in a situation like this, somebody's got to be to blame. And somebody looked around and said, I know who's to blame. Whose idea was it to come to the land of the Philistines? Huh? Who initiated this? David. And so they began to talk of killing him. Now, let's stop. I'm sorry, I, I just got a lot to say, and I just don't want to keep you over. 
You understand that the Sundays that I keep you over, the children's workers beat me. They beat me after the service. Here's the lesson. Exclude God and you'll create a mess. David's in a mess. That's where he's at. You, you, you know what a mess is like? You know what a mess is? A mess is when you've got multiple problems, the problems are growing, you can't see any way out, but boy, you see the potential for things to get a whole lot worse. That's a mess. David has lost his family. He's lost everything he owned, and he was at this point a very wealthy individual. He's lost the trust of his men. And as bad as that was, things had the potential to get a lot better. Uh, they were entertaining the idea of killing him. They were going to kill him. He's in a first-class mess. Now, how did he get there? You know what I think? I think he got there by excluding God from a critical decision, a decision that would impact his life, his future, and the lives and futures of a lot of other people. I believe that he got into this mess by excluding God from a critical decision that he had to make. You say, Ronnie, what leads you to believe that? Look at 1 Samuel chapter 27, verse 1 and 2. I want you to see this. But David kept thinking to himself. You got that? David kept thinking to himself. You don't read that he sought the counsel of his leadership or his wives. He was thinking to himself, someday Saul is going to get me. The best thing I can do is escape to the Philistines. Then Saul will stop hurting from, hunting for me in Israelite territory and I'll finally be safe. So David took his 600 men and went over and joined Achish, son of Maok, the king of Gath. Notice some praise up there. You don't find this. David inquired of the Lord. You see that in it? You see that? David asked God for guidance. You see that one anywhere? David prayed, sought the mind and the will of God. You find that in there? David went to his priest and said, What are the thoughts of God on this? Because I've got some. No! He excluded God from this one, he did his own thinking. And he came up with his own plan. He, for the next 16 months of his life, followed his own path. And guess where the path that he chose led him? It led him into a mess. Oh man, I got to tell you, we're no different than old David. Uh, are you human? Listen, you might as well say, man, I got you figured out. You're human. I'm human. You know what we humans do? Sometimes we find ourselves in messes, and some of you are in a mess this morning. Some of you, it's a financial mess. It doesn't take a Wall Street financial planner, stock analyst, to take a quick look at your obligations and your monthly income and go, dude, you're in a mess. You're in a financial mess. Some of you, it's your marriage. It's a mess. If you were to describe your marriage, you'd use the words that the Bible used to describe ziklag. It's in ruins. And I'm not here to pick on you, right? I want you to understand that. Some of you, it's a business you started, and I'm telling you what, you started that business, and right now, if you could describe it, you'd say it's kind of like ziklag. It's going up in smoke. I don't know what kind of mess you might be in, but I know this. I'm talking to some people who are in a mess. I want you to do something. It's going to be a little bit painful. But I want you to look back over the course of your life, over the path you've been walking. I've got to ask you a tough question. 
You didn't make some critical decisions on your own, did you? Decisions you knew that would impact your future, impact your family. Decisions you knew were going to impact perhaps others. You didn't make those decisions entirely by reasoning and rationing and thinking and leave God out, did you? Because if, you, if you're in a financial mess, it could be that you've excluded God from your spending decisions. It, if you're in a marital mess, it could be you excluded God from the decision as to whom you were going to date and whom you are going to marry. I don't know. But there is the possibility that if you're in a mess, that you created the mess by excluding God from critical decisions somewhere down the line. Excuse me, somewhere back over the path of your life. Now, that's for you to answer. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands or confessional or come to the front. and Let us all observe the fact that you're in a mess and you created it. And I'm not trying to add insult to injury, but uh, if you're in a mess and you created it, you, there's, there's a problem that's got to be solved here. And I didn't come this morning with bad news. I came with good news. You ready? You say, I could use some because... I was already down about the mess I'm in, and now you're telling me it couldn't be my fault, and I'm trying to face the reality that it's my fault. And Thank you, Ronnie, for this encouraging word on this Sunday morning. I got good news. You ready? Include God, and he'll clean up a mess. Was that good news? Include God, and he will clean up a mess. Include God, and he will clean up your mess. Look at some more verses with me. 1 Samuel 38 and 9, David realized he's in a mess. He said, then he asked the Lord, should I chase after? Think about this. He's asked 16 months ago, you didn't care what God had to say or what he might want. And you go, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? Now, the God that I was raised to believe, I guess you could say, the God whom, I, whom I, I guess my peers talked to me, I would have expected him to say that. I would expect him to be completely silent, Rick. You didn't ask me my opinion 16 months ago. You didn't need me then. That's the God I, that's the God I think I knew years and years and years ago. You know what blows my mind, Brian? God answered him. God spoke to him. David asked, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. So David and his 600 men set out and came to the brook Besor. Now at this point, I'll tell you what, the pursuit became grueling. So grueling that 200 of the most physically fit men on the planet said, we can't do it. And they quit. 400 of them continued with David until they found the raiders, these Amalekites. And the Bible said they began to fight with the Amalekites, wanting to take back everything. Everything belonged, and, and, and get this, Ferber, the battle lasted 24 hours. Not sitting behind guns and shooting, you know, not dropping bombs out of a plane. I'm talking about physical hand-to-hand combat for 24 consecutive hours after they just completed an exhausting pursuit. Oh, look what happened, though. 1 Samuel 30, 18 and 19. David got back. What's the word? Everything the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives. What's the word? 
Nothing was missing. Smaller, great, iPods, iPhones, they got it all back. Son or daughter, nor anything else had been taken. David brought everything back. How do you explain that? Here's the, the Bible explains it. You ready? 1 Samuel 30, verse 23. David comes riding back. Now listen, they all got their stuff back. They took all the stuff the Amalekites had been stealing. They came back better off than they started. And, they, and David's going to divide it up among 600 men. And some of the 400 said, oh, no, you're not. Those 200 weren't with us. They're not getting any of this. Look what David said to him. But David said, no, my brothers, don't be selfish with what whom has given us. Oh, he knows how this has happened. The Lord has given us. He, speaking of God, has kept us safe. And he, speaking of God, helped us defeat this band of raiders that attacked us. You want to know what kind of God you serve? Huh? Let me tell you the kind of God you serve. He's the kind of God that though you made the mess by excluding him, if you will include him, he'll clean up the mess you made. Is that not crazy? You know, the God that I always thought I belonged to, he would have been either mute. You didn't ask me before. Or he would have said this, you made your bed lie in it. That's not our God. Our God is so gracious, so merciful, so loving. That he sits waiting to be invited to clean up the messes we make. Does that blow your mind? Huh? What a God we serve. The minute, the moment, the moment, Sally, that the moment you said, what? God said, hey, I've been waiting to, on you to let me get involved. I'm glad you're including me because I want you to watch what I'm about to do. I'm going to clean this up for you. So if you're sitting here in a mess, you don't have to stay in a mess because if you'll include God now, you clean up your mess. You say, what does that mean, include? You're going to have to ask him a question now. The question is this, what now? Huh? There comes a point, it's just, it, stop looking back. David could have kicked himself for the rest of his life. Went, oh, man, I'm such a loser. I did such a terror. He could have, you know what? He had, he had to look forward and go, okay. I created the mess. What now, God? God said, you go after him. You got to consult with God and get his guidance, his direction on what now. God's got a plan on getting you out of the mess. You do understand that. You need to find his guidance, but then you've got to stick to, you've got to apply rigidly what he leads you to do. And I've got to tell you something. He'll get you out of the mess, but it's probably going to be a lot of work and a lot of fighting on your part to see the light of day. Uh, some of us are in messes we created over a period of years. And God is not going to get us out of a mess by this time tomorrow. You've got to get his guidance and you've got to do exactly as he says over the long haul. And I tell you what, don't be shocked. I promise you, you'll be amazed that God cleaned up the mess you made. Oh, man, it is 1033. Don't let the children's workers through that door, Trey. Don't let them through. They're going to kill me. I've told a story here before. Some of you are new. You've never heard it. And I just felt so compelled to tell it. 
First 16 years of our marriage, Lynn and I did not, we excluded God from our financial decisions. We did. There was only one thing we ever did that we felt like God told us to do with our money. We gave. We, we felt like God was clear. Give a tenth of, invest a tenth of your income in ministry. We were doing that. So, you know what we assume, Kevin? Well, if tenth is God's, 90% is ours. So, you know, hey, we give the tenth of God. He can decide what he wants. But the 90%, we get to choose what we, get to, we want to do with it. And so we excluded God from our financial decisions. And 16 years into our marriage, we recognized we're in a mess. We only had one credit card. It was, it was maxed. And uh, it was the Friday after Thanksgiving, and she was going shopping with her family, with Lisa and Karen, and with her mother, Zonel. And, she, and I told her, I've been telling her, I want a new tree stand. I want a new tree stand. She said, you order your tree stand. Did just order it. I did. And in just a minute, the folks from Gander Mountain called me back and said, uh, no. Your credit card's maxed out. We owed. All we had accumulated in 16 years of marriage was debt. Um. Uh, we lived in a church-furnished home, and you know how much money we had saved at this point in time to put down on our own home? Our daughter was approaching high school graduation. Guess how much money we'd put back to pay for her college? Guess. I'm telling you, man, we were in a mess. I blamed her. She blamed me. Secretly, I never said this to her, but I blamed God. We give. Huh? God we give and and you let us get in this kind of i remember an evening where we had a conversation and i said to her it's not your fault she said to me not your fault i said honey it's not god's fault we knelt in front of our sofa and this is what we said god we're in a real mess and we created this by excluding you so here's what we're asking god would you get us out of this would you clean up our mess and here's what we're willing to do whatever you tell us to do you can just write it down God will do it so over the next few weeks he began to show us some things and I'll be honest with you rigidly rigidly we did everything he said next thing you know credit card debt paid up car paid off truck paid off we didn't have any debt so we started putting a big portion of money into savings for a house we started putting money into an account for Amy by the time she graduated we bought her a car and paid cash for it paid for her college education had enough money to put down on a house and get the mortgage right in our wheelhouse did it take what, what do you think Ron three weeks four weeks how long did it take for all that happen huh because I might I think we're going to be, be doing that so I guess by Christmas we'll be all be took us a few years you don't understand the degree of change we created the mess by excluding God we included God and I'm telling you what by getting his guidance and applying what he told us to do God got us out of the mess did you know 26 years it's 26 years ago we haven't had to pay one penny of interest on a credit card in 26 years you know what we own now just our house although I got to tell you preacher Ronnie's getting trucked fever it's coming I feel it coming on truck fever it's taking over me and I'm telling you this because I want to tell you it, it, we've been here we've done this you don't need to be ashamed of it but I tell you what you do need to do include God now this is a long journey it's a grueling journey there'll be battles ahead and it would be best for you if you would start today 
you get on your knees somewhere, perhaps with your spouse, and you say, God, we're taking full responsibility of this. What do you want us to do now? And then you do everything he tells you to do. Everything. Exactly as he tells you to do it. And then maybe the big takeaway for all of us is this. From this point on, we're going to include God first. Life's tough enough without creating messes for ourselves. So when it comes to critical decisions, what are we going to do? We're going to include God first. You with me? Let's pray together quickly. And you pray for my safety and well-being as the children's workers let out. Thank you, Lord. I, I thank you that we serve a God who is gracious and merciful and loving, who understands our humanness, who's sitting and waiting to get involved and help us get out of the messes we make. I pray that folks here will take advantage of this. And they'll start today. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for your patience.